Welcome to Talking Robots, the podcast with an inside view on the science, technology, and business of intelligent robotics. Hi, I'm Sabine Howard from the Laboratory of Intelligent Systems at the EPFL in Lausanne, Switzerland. In this episode, we'll be talking to Martin Hegele. With his feet well anchored to the ground, he gives us an overview of today's European robotics market and tomorrow's trends. From industrial robots to lab technologies rolling to the open air, he knows his facts and figures concerning the 300,000 robots working away in Europe. Hi Martin, welcome to Talking Robots. Hello. You're the head of the Robotic Systems Department at Fraunhofer Institute for Manufacturing and Automation. You're also the chair of the Service Robotics Working Group at the International Federation of Robots, and you're the industrial link for, for Euron. Um, so I think this all together makes you a good person to talk to if we want to have an idea of how robotics is in the European industry. Um, first of all, since you're the industrial link for Euron, can you present Euron to us? Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, Euron is the European Robotics Network, which is a funded network. It's actually funded by the European Commission to actually host all robot research activities and also industries in Europe. So the network was uh, funded, I think, in 1999 and has been going on uh, ever since. And I think it's a tremendous success in the terms that all people working, or more or less all people in robotics, got to know each other, uh, got to know their activities, exchange on ideas, uh, research, and also dissemination, publication. So it's been a wonderful experience. So Euron today has close to 200 members. Most of them actually come from academia, but I would guess one-fourth of the membership is actually from industry. The network is coordinated by Hermann Brünnings of the uh, of KU Leuven in Belgium, and uh, the founder or uh, former coordinator was Hendrik Christensen, uh, who you may know. So, um, yeah, and it's been a fantastic experience, as I said, and uh, we hope that Euron uh, will be a sustainable. Uh, organization on sustainable network within European robotics. One of your key areas of expertise is robotics in the industry. So can you share some insight concerning the current European robotics market? So what's being produced and who's producing these robots and for whom? Mm -hmm. So uh, Europe has, a, I would say, a very healthy robotics industry. Um, about 4 billion euro worth of industrial robots are produced every year. But when we look at robot automation solutions, this means a robot with its complete work cells, so the whole integration, uh, that industry actually uh, produces an annual turnover of some 15 billion euro. In that turnover, there's also, of course, the robot vision integrated. Um, there are actually quite some uh, producers of Cartesian robots or articulated robots or parallel robots, some kind of new um, uh, kinematic forms. And there are, I would guess, about 20 companies in Europe producing industrial robots. So the largest ones are ABB, 
Sweden, KUKA uh, in Germany, Stäubli, Switzerland, Komau from Italy, Reis again Germany, Gödel is a, uh, a Cartesian robot producer from Switzerland, and there are also robot producers who produce robots which go in specific areas or application areas like welding, for instance, closer would be one example. Um, many more uh, industries are actually um, involved in integrating robots into customized solutions. We call these value-added resellers or especially in robotics, robot integrators. And I guess that about 250 of these system integrators are active on the European market, supplying robot solutions to the end-user industries. How would you classify the interest industries have in the following areas of robotics? So typically industrial robots, entertainment, research, household robots, medical robots, military robots, or, or other ones? Um, so we have to divide actually between the classical industrial robot industries who have been providing industrial robot solutions for many years, of course, for manufacturing. Um, and these industries still are mostly active in the automotive field. So still automotive industries consume about 50% of robot solutions. Then there's the chemical industry and the um, electrical or electronics industries as major uh, robot users. However, there are new industries coming up at, as well, uh, which are sometimes outside the classical manufacturing scenario. If we, for instance, look into baggage handling, this could be uh, called a service task or logistics. And quite obviously, these application areas or these industries are a future target groups for industrial robot manufacturers. Uh, if, you, if we just name the example, uh, you mentioned medical robots. It's quite interesting uh, to see that actually uh, industrial robot solutions go or are used for medical um, applications, for instance, for, uh, the, for guiding uh, diagnosis instruments or even yeah, tools. Um, household, military or entertainment is probably not a focus of classical industrial robot companies. However, there are new companies as well coming up, uh, offering solutions in these new markets, which we call service robot industries. And uh, today we have a worldwide um, number of service robot industries, which I estimate as about 180 worldwide, uh, of them, of which uh, about 70 to 80 are located in Europe. Uh, it's quite amazing, for instance, when, you, when we just heard about entertainment, there's actually uh, KUKA providing uh, solutions or devices for the entertainment robot, uh, for the entertainment industries. Uh, maybe you have heard of the RoboCoaster, which is an industrial robot, which uh, has two seats, maybe uh, more one time uh, in future times to yeah, to actually so, uh, use the robot as a coaster. Robots for research, actually, that's quite vital. 
because all of the robot industries are interested in promoting education, also um, providing robotic uh, robots for labs, and um, so there's a certain interest in when when we see a. Uh, um, research institutions doing research. I mean, it's not possible to do that without um, being supplied with robots uh, from classical industrial robot manufacturers. Military is quite different. So uh, we all know that obviously uh, the defense sector is a large consumer of robotic technologies in the United States. It's much less pronounced in Europe and it's particularly weak in Germany. So they are uh, quite strong geographical differences. You were talking about the classic robot industry. And just recently, I was in an exposition uh, on industry robots here in Lausanne. And I'm, I mostly feel that these robots are really big robots, which are pre-programmed, which professionals have to adapt to a certain task. And how do you think that we can uh, make these industrial robots more intelligent or user-friendly? Um, yeah, when we look at the industrial robots and their development over the years, we have seen very significant changes, uh, which were probably not so apparent from the outside. The first one was certainly the price level. So uh, the unit price of a robot has been decreasing tremendously throughout the years. We probably can say never has robot automation be less expensive than today. I would say the price erosion was, over the last 10 years, to a level of 30%. If we even count in the performance increase, this development is probably even more pronounced. Then robot manufacturers have been taking up PC technologies for their computer control, also for interfaces, for networks. And also we have seen smaller robots emerge. Um, so these have been the apparent changes uh, during the last years. Still, when we look at intelligence, uh, only about 10, maximum 15% of today's robots actually use vision sensors or even tactile force torque sensors. Uh, I guess this will be changing in the future as we, there's a clear need to have robots used in a more flexible way for smaller manufacturing of smaller productions and also in a more intuitive way at the command of a worker. So as we have seen in the automotive industry, a robot is maybe programmed once a year or even less. And uh, as these markets are saturated, more or less. Robotics will certainly go into smaller productions and have to become much more flexible in terms of the task execution, but also in terms of programming or instructing. And that's the area where I will see most of the technical challenges coming up. Most of the research in robotics uh, has difficulties leaving the lab and finishing in these uh, products and industry. So what does it take to go from the lab to industry? What are the secret ingredients for a successful transfer? Yeah, 
Um, so there has been, uh, or there is, in my point of view, a clear need to increase technology transfer between labs and industry. Um, Fraunhofer, so the organization I'm working with, um, is specialized or actually lives from technology transfer. Um, so we have very established processes, networks, and infrastructure to carry out effective tech transfer. But um, I think the major ingredient of a successful tech transfer is reaching out not only to robot manufacturers, usually they are quite well connected to research, but especially to end-user industries. And there are so many, of course, in Europe. Uh, when we count uh, manufacturing industries, there amount to maybe one to two bil uh, million uh, enterprises in uh, Europe uh, that we can see that there's obviously a very high potential to actually interact or get in contact with these industries. Um, of course, these uh, industries require quite specific solutions. They have to be safe or reliable, cost-effective. They should be accepted, and they are valued according to one parameter, which is the benefit. And um, yeah, and I would say the interest of the researcher to yeah look for practical problems, also the courage to pursue own an own way of applied research. This is major, maybe the major ingredient. Would you say that this transfer also goes through startups? Yeah, and this is maybe another uh, opinion, uh, another facet, that um, one of the strongest mechanisms of tech transfer is through persons or brains. This means that um, PhD students or graduate students will one day transfer to, to employments and many of them certainly will choose to go to manufacturing or robot suppliers or automation industries. And uh, that's certainly one very effective way to actually account for tech transfer. And maybe it's a good idea to, to also to talk to these people how they experience uh, the liaison or the transfer of ideas from research to practice and maybe yeah, take their ideas back into conducting effective tech transfer. A third way is by creating spin-offs. We have seen quite many industries, especially in robot automation, emerge from universities or research labs. When I think about um, companies um, doing ro robot vision, robot controls, simulation, etc. Most of these are quite technology-driven and in most of the cases results from spin-offs from research. Um, we have in Euron, in our European Robotics Network, tried to um, yeah, strengthen tech transfer by promoting a so-called uh, tech Transfer Award. This Tech Transfer Award actually calls for application every year, and we give best examples of effective tech transfer to a large community. These presentations are held at the annual meeting, and um, 
hopefully motivate uh, researchers to do likewise, to actually look for, for uh, concrete problems from yeah, industry and think about ways on how to transfer ideas. A couple weeks back, we interviewed David Hansen about his U.S.-based company, which makes Android robots. Are there such companies in Europe, and how is the European market different from the, the North American market or the Asian market? Well, I've, I don't know uh, uh, David Hansen uh, well enough, but uh, from the website I took that uh, the company specializes in conversational robots. Uh, there are similar companies also in, in Japan producing Actroids, um, which is yeah a perfect copy or hopefully perfect copy of a human face or even a human appearance. Of course, these products are extremely fascinating and may very well uh, support an intuitive and obvious human-robot interaction. These devices maybe also point to humanoids, which actually imitate the mobility, dexterity, cognition, and sensing capability of a human. Uh, but still, we are probably very far from actually imitating human skills or human cognition. Uh, so that, for instance, we at Fraunhofer chose to go into another direction and say, well, maybe we should uh, create robots, service robots, which do some jobs of everyday life well and uh, maybe um, limit only to those. Uh, this means that we come up with much more abstract machines which um, uh, try to avoid human resemblance and suggest the level of task execution they can convincingly and re uh, reliably um, carry out. Um, here we have entered um, development, which we call CareRobot. We started with these uh, um, yeah, household robots in 1998, uh, and we are now in the third generation. And in the third generation, we, for the first time, um, uh, included designers from everyday's articles or products which try to convey a fascination, which also try to make products more abstract, but still produce shapes and forms which please and which fascinate and which create finally acceptance. So um, I think besides the humanoid robots, there may be another way or different, also a different approach towards creating robots for everyday tasks, robots which we like to use actually for support in our living. Let's talk about the future now a bit. What types of robots will be on the market in 5 to 20 years? Still, I think that today's industrial robots will be on the market. So if we think about the mechanical structure, however, uh, functions will be added. And I see that uh, most of the development will go uh, towards um, a more intuitive 
human-robot interaction. This means that we will cooperatively work with robots, that we also will instruct robots by voice, by gesture, or by graphics, or a combination of it. But still, I think that we will also see new robot or new robot structures emerge. Uh, for instance, KUKA now has entered marketing or producing the so-called lightweight arm, which is an initial DLR development. Uh, this is certainly a fantastic way um, to actually use a robot also at manual workplaces. So, and our vision are actually very much influenced towards using a robot as a tool, maybe as intuitively and obviously as we use a, an electric tool today. Um, so, this is one of the mo uh, most uh, general uh, developments I see. Other developments are that uh, products or structures will become smaller. So, microelectronic devices or microsystems uh, will be more and more integrated into any kind of products and actually to produce these micro devices uh, probably very much dep will depend on automation. So I will certainly also expect some robots becoming smaller up to miniature or micro robots also, uh, in manufacturing. Another trend I, will, uh, I expect is that uh, robots will be in or become in some areas an alternative to machine tools. Uh, we have seen Perl kinematic machines, so kinematics, which are actually um, or which uh, are composed of bars to produce a parallel structure. They are stiff and lightweight and may also be produced at lower cost. And these kinematic machines are quite suitable when it comes to machining or, uh, or uh, applying high forces when they are needed. So uh, I expect these uh, parallel uh, robots also emerge or diffuse into milling, grinding, finishing, polishing, etc., um, all material working related jobs. In all areas of robotics now, where do you see the biggest potential? Where do you think the biggest advances will be made? In terms of technologies, um, I think that um, methods and components will be um, will emerge, which make a robot capable of understanding human-like instructions, so the use of voice, gesture, graphics. Also, to actually account for safe human-robot cooperation, and also to have a robot system installed very quickly on the shop floor, not by specialists, but also installed and configured by the worker. So these are, for, in my understanding, the major technological breakthrough I expect. Um, but also I expect uh, industrial robots emerge much stronger in so-called general industries outside of the automotive and electrical industries, like 
logistics, food, automation in the field of life science products, this means biopharma, um, products handling. Also in food, in the food industry. When we talk about service robots, I certainly expect robots slowly emerging into our homes and also into professional services like cleaning, light, inspection, transportation, and maybe also entertainment. 20 years from now, in which fields will robotics have had the biggest impact on our lives? I would say still in manufacturing, we will see many or many more robots doing their job for yeah, maybe two or three reasons. The first one is productivity is the key for competitiveness. And more and more these productivity gains are achieved by the use of robots. Also a skilled workforce can very much depend on robot assistance at jobs, be it transportation, assembly, handling, whatever. And also we see demographical aspects come into play in manufacturing. Um, in the household, I see vacuum cleaners, lawnmowers coming into homes in much larger numbers. And maybe also in 20 years, we will see robots doing simple household tasks like fetch and carry or main, uh, performing some simple jobs like preparing a meal or laying out a table or maintain, maintaining a house. I certainly see also medical robots do jobs, especially in diagnosis. Thanks, Martin, for being here with us on Talking Robots. Mm-hmm. Okay. This concludes this episode of Talking Robots with Martin Hegele on the robotics market in Europe. Thanks for being here. See you in two weeks. Talking Robots, the inside view on robotics. For more information on past and upcoming podcasts, visit our website at lis.epfl.com. Dot ch.